Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to start off with a couple of jokes today. Now, I admit I have told at least one of these before, but I figure y'all only listen like a third of the time, so we'll be fine, right? You'll just pretend like you've never heard it. I recently heard the story of a, of a man on a deserted island, and they, uh, the rescuers found him, and, and they asked him, how did you survive here? And he said, well, I got really good at building shelters pretty early on. They said, well, can you show us? He said, sure. He said, over here, this is, this is my house. This is where I lived. And then he said, this is another shelter here. I would lift rocks and, and coconuts. It was like where I worked out and stayed fit. This was, this was my gym, and, and this is important. This is where I went to worship God. This, this was my church. And they said, wow, that's incredible. What about that building over there? And he said, well, that's where I used to go to church. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what they say, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there are at least four or five Christian denominations present, right? So... The other, the other one I wanted to share was um, I recently heard a story of a, a mom and her son that were talking. It was Sunday morning, and, uh, and the son goes, Mom, Mom, I don't want to go to church today. Don't make me go to church. And she said, well, why not? And he said, I don't have any friends there. It's never any fun. I don't even feel like anybody likes me. <laughs> Give me three good reasons why I should go to church today. And she gets all indignant and kind of gathers herself and says, well, first of all, I'm your mother, and I told you you should go. Second of all, it's the Lord's Day, and the third commandment says you should honor the Sabbath day. That means you go to church. And then lastly, you're the pastor, and it's your job. <laughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this chance to come here to church, to this community of believers. Lord, I thank you for, for the chance to share your word, and I pray that it is your word. Uh, just as St. Paul we saw in that uh, epistle reading, I pray that the words are not about me or that nobody is following me, but instead that we would follow you. And I seek to do the same. I seek to submit myself to your Holy Spirit that it may speak in this place, and I pray that we would all be brave enough to do the same, to hear whatever it is that you want to say to each of us. Be present, Lord, and be known. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, special welcome to those of you joining online. It is great to have you with us today. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that I started off the sermon with a, a lengthy diatribe, a little sermonette, if you will, about the topic of diversity, how we are uh, blessed because of our differences, uh, that because we have all these different perspectives, different backgrounds, it makes our community stronger, that we should honor those bits of diversity, right? Well, then you look at today's epistle reading, and it's Apostle Paul exhorting, begging the people of Corinth to be the same. He says that they should be of the same mind, the same judgment. Some translations even say, speak the same thing. And perhaps you're wondering, okay, well, which one should it be? Are we supposed to be the same, or are we supposed to be different? Which one is it, preacher man? And I got to tell you, I think it's important, as is always the case, when we look at an epistle, right, Those that means letter, to examine the context, to say, okay, who is this written to, what's he trying to say, etc., right? So, as I mentioned a little bit last week, um, the, the letter to the Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who came onto the scene after Jesus' presence on this earth, and yet Jesus still appeared to him uh, and spoke to him, and thus he was considered an apostle. 
um, he went around and, and created a bunch of churches throughout the land, and one of them was in Corinth, Corinth being a very uh, happening city. There was a port city, a hub city, so there were a lot of different people, different trades and businesses happening, very diverse, very similar, in fact, to Houston. It says that he was there for over a year, possibly as long as 18 months, uh, creating this church in Corinth, and then he took his barnstorming evangelical tour off to probably Ephesus was the next stop. Um, and th while in Ephesus, he gets word that there are some issues back in old Corinth. And so he sends them uh, this letter, the first of, of two that he sends. Um, possibly there was another one, but we've lost two time. Um, but he writes this letter, and it says that he has heard that there are divisions among them, right? I love, by the way, the little inclusion uh, that this comes from Chloe's people or the household of Chloe. We have no clue who Chloe is. Um, she, she's just mentioned the one time, um, but would have been somebody of note, somebody of importance within Corinth. And that's a good reminder, I think, for us that these are letters to a particular group of people that in their context, they know exactly who Chloe is. And we're sitting here 2,000 years later going, I don't know. And reminding us that these letters are not written specifically to us. However, we believe that God's word is living and active, that it still speaks to us in our modern context, that it's still applicable to our current lives. So just kind of keep that in mind whenever you're reading through an epistle, right? So he hears that there are these divisions, that there are these splits, because uh, at this point, we're in essentially the third generation of the church. The first would have been Jesus and his disciples, right? And the people that, that followed directly around Jesus, that's the first generation of the church. And then those that, that the disciples taught and worked with, that would have been including Paul. And then lastly, we get to Paul and who Paul taught and the other apostles. And so really we're in the third generation of the church. And we're actually seeing here almost a fourth generation because Paul teaches Apollos, who then is teaching Corinth. And basically what he's getting at here is he's saying, what I'm hearing from you, or about you, the people of Corinth, is you're following either Apollos, you're following me, you're following Cephas, or you're following Christ. And that last one's interesting. We'll get there. Um, but this idea of following Apollos, Paul, which is the writer, Paul, speaking in third person, and then Cephas, which remember from last week, Cephas is simply the Aramaic term for stone or rock. That was the name that Jesus gave to Simon that we know better as Peter. That's the Hebrew side of it. So interesting that he chose to use Cephas. We'll see in a second why. Why does it matter that these people are following these different teachers? Well, um, some of it is because the different styles that the various teachers have. See, Apollos um, is widely believed that he had a lot of Greek tradition, that he, was, he really pushed Sophia, the Greek wisdom concept, um, and, and was very uh, academic in the way that he taught, right? Then you would get to Peter, or Cephas, and he more followed the Hebrew, the Jewish tradition. So those who are following Apollos, they want to learn. They want wisdom. They want the, the academic sermons. Those who are following Peter, they want things to be the way they've always been, right? They're following tradition. Then you have Paul, who I guess you could kind of say is like a modern mega church pastor, right? Wherever he goes, massive churches pop up. He's charismatic. He's quite a forceful speaker. He's certainly a forceful writer, um, so he's kind of the trendy guy, right? So you have wisdom and academia, you have the way we've always done it, and then you have the trendy pastor, the trendy leader in Paul, right? And so they're all kind of picking their factions, like, well, I want to follow that, I want to do that. Well, what about this fourth one? 
that Paul mentions. And some of you follow Christ. And you're, I, like as a pastor, I'm reading this going, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Like, that's the good one, right? Why is that one included with all of the other problem ones? And I, We can only speculate as to why this is included. Here's my speculation, um, just kind of knowing humanity. I believe it could be possible that there is a group that was saying, oh, no, we follow Christ. We don't follow these leaders that you've put in place. We don't listen. We don't recognize the authority of these leaders and teachers, that you, Apollos, etc., Kind of like a not my rabbi kind of thing, right? Like I reckon. And listen, I know, I know that this is hard to fathom in our current American age. Somebody who, like the former guy, was probably seen as more beloved than the current guy, and everybody's saying I don't even recognize the authority of the current guy, and I prefer the former guy. I can't think of any single example in our current modern context where that kind of thinking is prevalent in our heads. But that's, I, I could speculate that's what he's talking about when he says some of you say you follow Christ because then he follows up with, is Christ divided? No, Christ is the central figure, right? And so he's seeing all these different splits, these different schisms. Really, these are the first denominations within Christianity. These different cliques are forming. And what's happening is they're letting their preferences dictate what they believe, right? It's fine to prefer a more academic message or, or a more traditional setting or something more charismatic. That, that's all well and good. Your preferences are fine, but when you start to let them be your belief, when you start to let them form your doctrine, when you start to say this is right and this is wrong, you're getting into dangerous territory, right? When you're starting to say that, that I know the right way and my preference is the right way and everything else is wrong, you get into difficult times. I, I once had uh, at a church that I, early on in my ministry, uh, I followed a pastor. He left, um, but he was tremendously charismatic, a great preacher. And I had a couple come up to me the first week and say, well, you know, we came here because of him. And we follow him, and we hope that you're as good as him. And I said, I came here because Jesus is here. Because, you know, that's what the church is about. I don't know. I'm a Christian, not this previous pastor-ite, right? And I think sometimes we kind of fall into that thinking of saying, like, I'm following this model. I, I, my preference is, is this. And we let it become our doctrine. See, this is a question that I've talked about before. It's how do we focus on why we do something rather than how we do something? How do we focus on the very purpose for which we're doing something rather than even potentially what we're doing? Let me help to illustrate this. So imagine if, if being as close as possible to this altar is the presence of Christ, right? Being with God, the triune God. Like being here is being in accordance, being in unity with God, right? And we'll pick something. Um, so what did Jesus teach, right? Love God, love people. When he was asked, what is the most important commandment, right? Of all the different commandments, they're trying to trick him, and he says, love. Love God and love people. Okay, that's pretty vague, right? We want a little more depth. And so we'll go, oh, well, let's look at the Ten Commandments. I'm going to pick one. We'll say, honor the Sabbath day. I've already mentioned it once. So, all right, so we're honor the Sabbath day. We're still within reach of Christ. We're still there. We're still within range of the presence of God, right? Honor the Sabbath day. Okay, what does that mean, right? Well, um, it's take time for God. Sounds good. Yeah, take time for God. Honor the Sabbath day. Christ, love God. That's, that's how all this is working. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means going to church on Sunday, okay? 
going to church Sunday morning, going to a church that has pews on Sunday morning, going to the right kind of church on Sunday morning, going to a church that plays the right kind of music on Sunday morning, going to a church that plays the right kind of music from the right book on Sunday morning, going to the church that plays the right verse of the right song from the right book on Sunday morning, dressing the right way to go to church on Sunday morning. Look how far I am from the presence of Christ at this point. But we do this constantly. We are constantly adding all these steps and saying, this is what this means when we should just be asking the question, what does it mean to love God and love people? That's what Christ taught us. And obviously there are some some extra little steps there, but the further away you get from Christ, the easier it is to have those divisions. And when you start to say, in order to be part of the pure church, you have to be all the way down this aisle, you have to agree with everything, every step that I took, then you're going to create a lot of enemies. You're going to create a lot of division. And when we focus on the how of what we do, we're destroying not only ourselves, but we're destroying the church. I'll point you to uh, the company Kodak, right? Kodak, uh, they were the company for what? Pictures, right? Which this isn't even the pantomime for pictures anymore. It's this, right? Um, they were film. They were pictures to the point where when something nice happened, it was a what? A Kodak moment. You all know it very well. But then digital pictures came into things, digital cameras, and they said, no, no, no. How we do things is film. How we stay in this niche, this click, that's it's film. And what ended up happening is rather than saying, why are we doing this? Because we want to help people capture their memories. We want to help people to, to take photos and have these, these moments that they can look back on fondly. If they stayed at the why, they could still be doing strong today. Because people, oh, people be taking pictures, don't they? You go on Instagram, everybody's snapping pictures all the time. But Kodak's long gone. And so will the church if we don't ask why rather than how. Now maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, that, that's a good illustration. I like that walking down the aisle thing. That was a little different. Maybe a little uneasy. That's cool. Um, but like, what does this have to do with me? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I don't write Bible studies. I'm not in charge of the polity of the church. What does this do in my life? Well, it's as simple as this. Ask yourself the question, who or what am I following? Who or what am I following in my life? Because here's the deal. In your life, there are so many pulls on you, so many pulls on your attention, so many pulls on your investment in life. People, companies, organizations, they want you to pay attention to them and to view all their competitors as what? Wrong. And what ends up happening is we get caught in these tidal waves of trends and we're trying to keep up with everybody around us and it becomes exhausting. Here's an illustration. All right, so humanity has to drink water, right? We know this. We have to stay hydrated. Um, but lately there have been these trends that happen when it comes to drinking water. When I was a kid, when I was in school, it was all about the Nalgene bottle, right? Boy, they sold these things hard. They said you could run it over with a truck. You could, you could put milk in it for two weeks and it spoils in there and it'll still be good. Just rinse it out and you still use it. This thing's indestructible. Everybody had to have 
an Nalgene bottle, and they plastered their camp stickers and their travel stickers all over this bad boy, and it was hanging from carabiners on your waist, right? Nalgene bottle, it was all about that. But then, oh, then another cup came onto the scene, the Tervis. And if you have Tervis cups, yeah, the Tervis, oh, that was a thing, wasn't it? For a hot minute, you could put anything inside there. You could put a little, you could put a little monogrammed thing with your name or your company or something like that. Churches like we should do. Ter- we can't afford Tervis. We're gonna do like Schmervis, right? We're gonna have our little logo in there. It'll be great. People will love it, right? Everybody had to keep your cup nice and cool, right? It spills a little bit. That's cool, right? So there was that, right? But then, oh, then Gen Z showed up. They're all about the hydro flask. Let's see, Harris, you guys, hydro flask. You're all about that. There you go. Got the hydro flask. Uh, this was, there was a, a particular uh, social group called the Visco Girls. They loved the hydro flask. The thing with the hydro flask, though, is um, it makes quite a sound. And if you've ever heard one fall on the ground, you're probably still hearing it, right? Like, it's just, it clatters like a, like a church bell, right? And then, uh, then we, you know, we realized, you know, this isn't super practical, doesn't fit in cup holders. So next, it was the Yeti. Yeah, some of you are still Yeti fans, right? Uh, the, I, I, I've got one right here, right? It's all about, it keeps your stuff cold, keeps it hot, you got to put it there. They got the coolers the whole nine yards. But see now, now there's another cup on the scene. I found this out at a PTO meeting for our school, and they're like, oh, and if, if you win a raffle, you'll get a Stanley Cup. And I was like, I'm a hockey fan. I'm like, Stanley Cup? <laughs> wow, I put my name in that raffle. Uh, well, as it turns out, it's just this with a handle, Right? But it is all the rage. Everybody has to have, and you got to have the right color of the Stanley Cup, and you got to have the right size of this. Who knows what the next thing is going to be, right? But, but here's the issue. We all clamor after these cups, which, by the way, the whole point was like, so you don't have to keep buying more cups, and yet here we are, right? Um, but what matters is not the cup. It matters what's inside the cup. It matters whether it's, it's your, your water, your coffee, whatever. What, what's inside the cup matters. All of this branding, all of these labels, all of these different, the money spent on these stupid cups, it's all about just keeping what's inside there. In our society, we care so much about the cup and so little about what's on the inside. This happens within us. This happens to us constantly. So often we focus, instead of what's inside of a person, what their character is, we focus on whether they're an elephant or a donkey, whether there's an R or a D next to their name. To determine whether somebody's telling the truth, we just ask one question, what channel are they on? Rather than asking what's inside them, we're looking at the label. What are you following? Who are you after? This happens in church, too. We let our preferences become our doctrine, become our belief, become our core. This is who I am. I'm, a, I'm an early service person. I'm a late service person. I like this song. I like that song. Whatever. We're losing sight of what matters, and that is love God and love people. If you look at our gospel reading, we see the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And how does he build that ministry? Two ways. One, he goes around saying, repent, for the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God, depending on which book you're looking at. Basically, what he's saying is, hey, God, God is here. God is here. Turn away from the world that's letting you down. This isn't a guilt thing. This is an opportunity to walk away from the lies of the world, turn away from the way that the world is hurting you. God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Love God. 
And then he goes around and he heals people. People that nobody else will touch. People that nobody else sees as worthy of anything. People that, that the rest of the world says they're unlovable. Jesus says, I love you and I heal you. Compassion. Love people. So as you're going about your life, always come back to this spot. Love God and love people. Weigh everything that you do against that. And maybe you're sitting here because, you know, we're, we're broken human minds. So like, I need more than that. I need some more instructions. What does love God, love people mean? What does it look like, man? Well, come back next week. Because next week we are looking at the longest teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount where he elaborates on that concept of love God, love people. But in the meantime, I pray that we can celebrate our diversity, that we can seek to draw together unity, that we can look within somebody and care about what's on the inside, not what the label is, that we can recognize that what's on the inside of us is the Holy Spirit, that we are beloved children of God, that we can remember why we do everything that we do. Love God, love people.